very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. And also, if you want to improve yourself as a human, as a thinker, and those around you, try Sanitas Radio. Go to sanitasradio.com and sample it. Take a listen. You won't regret it. And now, folks, we are in September. As you know, I'm a, an optimist. There are many, many news out there. A lot of information coming about September, Shemitah, financial collapse, false flags, you name it. All we can do is dissect the facts and remain positive, but at the same time, observant and awake. And for that reason, I'm glad to bring back my friend, Ole Damigard. He's an award-winning author, investigator, musician, artist, painter, former journalist, and much more. For more than 20 years, he has worked very hard to expose some of the biggest conspiracies around the world, something that has turned out to be very, very dangerous for him. His website, lightonconspiracies.com. And directly from Estepona, southern Spain, I'm glad to welcome my friend Ole Damigord back to Veritas. Hello, Ole, and welcome back. Thank you so much, Mel. It's a, a real honor and pleasure to be back. Well, false flags, psyops, and media fakery. This seems to be, these words seem to be prevalent these days. But you and I spoke a few days ago, and you said that you had something very important. You recently visited Norway, and I want to hear all about it. What happened? Uh, I just want to say that I've spent some, it's actually more than 30 years now, on trying to find the real truth behind uh, top political assassinations globally, as well as false flag terrorism. Uh, uh, because this, these false flag operations are one of the major tools that have been used against us normal people for many, many years, actually decades and generations. And so I th think that it's extremely important to find out for, for the, the person in the street how these things are carried out so that you can be able to spot them. And by spotting them, uh, we might even be able to stop them before they even uh, happen. So... Uh, a false flag operation, it's, it's based on an old Roman template called problem, reaction, solution. 
it is uh, built for um, the idea that an elite few, a small group of people that have elected themselves as uh, better than the rest of us, uh, that when they say that we want to be the people that uh, rule over this empire or over all of these thousands of you, how are we going to do it? And the, the tool that they use is fear. That's the only thing that can, can control the masses. So for thousands of years, what they've done is that they've created an outer enemy, somebody outside that the population had to fear. And they've done it through problem-reaction-solution. They, the people in power, have secretly created problems in, in nowadays, the, these problems are in the, in the form of mass shootings or terrorist acts, ISIS, bombs, virus scares, uh, uh, these type of things, financial disaster, so on. To freak people out, create a problem secretly to freak us out. So, And the, uh, the reaction they want from us is an emotional, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going down here. I need protection. Please save me, save me. And then we will turn towards the people that we think we have elected to sort out these problems, not understanding that they are actually the ones creating it, saying, please, please save us, save us. And then we will then accept their solution. And their solution is every time a solution that we would never, ever have accepted had it not been for the problem, problem, reaction, solution. And... Nowadays, the solution every single time is that you pay. You, the normal citizen, you pay. You pay with your tax money. You pay with your having to give up your liberties, your human rights, your civil rights. Your, you have to accept more and more surveillance everywhere, microchipping, uh, normal police turning into robocops, uh, martial law, all of these things, all based on the problem. So... Also, uh, the term false flag operation comes from, a, it's an old naval uh, term, and it comes from uh, in the old days when the great empires, uh, Holland, uh, England, Spain, and so on, the old naval uh, empires, when they wanted to invade a small country or just get away with the rape, plunder, and murder, instead of them just doing it, which they could, but then maybe causing problems with the neighboring countries and, and maybe with trade agreements and so on. Instead of doing that, what they did was that they put the enemy's flag on one of their own ships. Then they let their own ship attack themselves so that they were the victim and then saying, oh, my God, we are under attack. We're under attack. And then that would justify them invading and plundering, raping whoever it was that was the target to start with. That is where the term comes from false flag operations. Now, what happened now, in Norway recently? What I try to do is that uh, I often try to go and be on site, on location, uh, when these awful things happen or afterwards or on anniversaries and so on, to get a more emotional uh, connection with it. Because some of these things are really awful, awful when people are being massacred and so on. And it gives me the drive to keep on, keep on, and also taking the risks that are necessary to solve these things. And uh, on the 22nd of July, 2011, that's more or less exactly four years ago, uh, two very, very awful events uh, took place in, in Norway. Uh, 
uh, only during a very few hours. It was actually 189 minutes in total. And it was uh, an event. It's almost like two different chapters. So if it's okay with you, Mel, that I, I just give the official version sure. of chapter one and chapter two, then it would be easier to go into details afterwards to, to expose at least what I believe is the truth. So uh, the official story is that a man by the name of Anders Bering Breivik, a Norwegian-born 32-year-old uh, blonde uh, guy, was very, very upset because of um, uh, Norway accepting more and more multi-nationalities, uh, people from abroad coming into Norway, and also other uh, issues that he had with uh, the Labour Party in, in Norway. This is the official story. So he got very upset. He was also, he had a Freemasonry background and he got very upset and decided to do, make a statement. And the statement he wanted to do was by blowing up the government building and then go and do a mass killing. So chapter one of this uh, tragedy is that in the afternoon, it was a Friday afternoon on the 22nd of July, about the 3.22, he drove... It's almost identical to the Oklahoma City uh, event, at least that's the scenario, that he f uh, had made a fertilizer bomb, 950 kilos, put it in a rental van, and what he did was he, he drove it up to the government building uh, in central Oslo, parked it on the back of it, right where the entrance is, where the deliveries were made and so on, then left, uh, left the car there, and walked away dressed in a police uniform with a helmet and a, a, what do you call it, plastic shield in front of so. He was uh, at that time uh, observed by uh, surveillance cameras taking still photos where you can see that he walks away in this police uniform with a helmet and a pistol in his hand, someone, something else in his left hand. But you cannot see who it is, you can only see one person dressed like that who leaves the vehicle and then walks away. Uh, he's then said to have uh, picked up, he had two cars this day, a small van that he then uh, took and started driving northwest uh, out of Oslo towards a small little island called Utøya, where chapter two will take place. Anyway, a few minutes after he, he left the car there, suddenly it is said to have exploded. And what happened was it was a massive explosion, or at least the damages were absolutely incredible. It is uh, the government building is like 15 story high building and all the windows, the whole facade was blown out as well as on several different uh, buildings uh, in the surroundings. All everything was uh, uh, blown into the uh, center where it, there's sort of a street going in between these buildings. Everything was thrown to, in towards the the center of this and uh, it is said the official story says that eight people were uh, killed by the by the explosion and there, there were several uh, wounded people and so on uh, but the whole area extremely uh, blown out and, and damaged and, and so on there were thousands of windows being blown out and so on that's chapter one chapter two is that he then uh, left towards, uh, he went northwest of Oslo, about a 30-40 minute drive, and came out, it's way out in the countryside, a beautiful area, uh, very idyllic, 
with a heart-shaped island called Utøya. This island is about uh, 600 uh, yards from the mainland. I mean, very close. And uh, there's a small little ferry called MS Turbion uh, that is the only way to cross to, to this little island. Uh, that uh, uh, ferry can take one vehicle or up to 50 passengers standing up. It's a former military uh, ship, you know, one of these... Um, uh, vessels where you had uh, um, army troops that you wanted to take to an, an another to the shore and and invade that uh, beach or whatever. So there are, there are armored sites on it, but it nowadays it's used as a as a ferry. Anyway, so uh, it is said that the, he came uh, to this uh, little ferry. There was uh, at the same time there was a youth camp going on on the island with more than 500 uh, teenagers from different countries, mostly uh, Norway, uh, all members or guests of the Labour Party, the Youth Labour Party, AUF in Norway. And the same morning, the former uh, president or prime minister of Norway, Gro Harlem Brundtland, uh, had been there, spent the whole morning there with the youngsters. She had just left an hour or so before she, uh, the shooting started, she left the island with this ferry. So she left the island and very shortly afterwards, uh, Anders Breivik, uh, Bering Breivik is said to have come there. Uh, he leaves the van, he brings a very heavy bag and he's dressed in a police uniform once again, where uh, the top is said to have been like a, a wetsuit, but with a police emblem on his shoulder. Uh, the... There's one woman on the island who's sort of the leader of the whole place, who's uh, uh, the responsible for taking care of the island, which is owned by the Labour Party. And when she hears that uh, there's a policeman coming because of the bomb things that they, they had heard on the radio and so on, she left with a ferry from the island, went across to the mainland, uh, met up with a police officer and then uh, brought him back to the island. Uh, once he came to the island, uh, the captain of the ferry helps him with a bag, very heavy bag, puts it in a van and then drives it up to the main building and parks it on, uh, on the back of the building. At the same time, the police officer, uh, who's, uh, he identifies himself as uh, uh, Martin Nielsen, and he says he's from PST, which is uh, the security police uh, of Norway. He goes up to... Um, the uh, main building together with this woman and also there's a security guard that comes and meet up. They start to talk for a few minutes and then suddenly he just pulls out a gun and kills them both. He executes them uh, both. Uh, when this happened and when the, the teenagers on the island, I mean, there was uh, more than 500, when they started hearing these shooting uh, and started understanding what, that people had actually been shot there, total panic uh, evolved. And they started running in all different directions. At the same time, uh, it is said that Anders uh, Bering Breivik, very cool, very relaxed, just started walking around with a rifle, the exact same rifle, a, Ru a Ruger uh, 14, I believe it was, um, and a Glock, uh, exactly the same weapons as Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City uh, is said to have had. He starts walking around on the island, and during more than one hour, just executes teenagers, slaughters them, headshots, killing whoever he sees. 
So they are trying to hide everywhere in buildings, uh, in uh, down on the beach, behind rocks. Uh, some some of them try to swim uh, to the mainland, but he kills a lot of them as well. Uh, he's just standing, uh, standing, uh, practicing shooting on targets almost. At the same time, just very calmly walking around, killing them. While he's doing this, he uh, twice he's on the mobile phone speaking to the police saying that he's ready to um, surrender to this, what he says, the Delta team, that he does that twice. And then in the end, uh, when they finally arrive, uh, they call out his name. The Delta team comes in, a, in small, uh, two small boats, comes to the island and uh, finds him, calls out his name, and he surrenders right away. No shootout, no, no fighting, no nothing. He very... Uh, very relaxed, just gives up his weapon, go down on his knees and uh, gets arrested. It is said that uh, some 69 teenagers were, were killed this day on the, this island. It is the biggest mass murder done by one person since the Second World War. So it's a, it's a very uh, dark world record in, in uh, slaughter absolute slaughter but uh, that was the official story and he's been sentenced for this he's been put away for many many years and in Norway you hear the official story pumped on it's on a weekly basis it's in the newspapers all the time all the time all the time about Breivik 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 he did it he did it he did it and so on. Well, well, if the official story is true, and we're going to dissect that tonight, when you say many years, see, in the United States, you kill somebody, you either get life in prison or you get the death penalty. But he allegedly killed 77 people, and he's just getting 21 years. The, the rules, I mean, you, li you live in a, in a country that is very extreme when it comes mm -hmm. to prison, uh, prison sentences and, and rules and so on. In, in Sweden, for instance, life in prison is 12 years. That's Sweden. And <laughs> I'm no, sorry to yeah. laugh. I'm sorry to laugh. I, under, I understand. But, you know, when you take a life, you either you spend your whole life in prison or, well, I don't want to go there. I don't, please go on. No, so um, what I've noticed over the years since this happened, I mean, it's only four years ago, but it's, an, it's a national trauma in Norway. I mean, Norway is such a small country with only like four and a half, five million people, I think. And so everybody was affected by, by this. And uh, No doubt. So one of the things that uh, I found very odd is that no one has really looked into this except for... a. I only know two freelance journalists that have been digging into this. Uh, one of them is a friend of mine. His name is Hans Gorder. And the other name, uh, man, is a, he's anonymous. He's called Jostemic. I, I don't know his the identity or anything. But these two people have been really digging into it and have been uh, exposing quite a lot on alternative websites and so on. So... The more I learned about this, the more I just felt, oh my God, something so wrong is going on here. So this is the reason why I wanted to go there on the anniversary. I actually went uh, the days before the anniversary uh, to Norway. And uh, so it was a very 
a strange feeling for me first to be guided around uh, the government building because it's it's so odd that even though it's four years ago, no repair have been done on the on these buildings. They're still there. They're like a monument of death and destruction. It's just like uh, it it's cleaned up, but uh, none of these buildings are being used officially, at least. I don't know. But the windows that were blown out, uh, you know, you got like uh, wooden. It looks like uh, where Ka- uh, Hurricane Catherine was, came through, you know, they put all these uh, planks and wooden things in the windows. The whole government building, which is 15 stories high, that is covered. It looks like it was renovated. But when you go really close, you will see that it's it's printed on plastic. It's um, what do you call these big uh, plastic sheets you, you put uh, sort of a across if you got firewood outdoors or something like that i mean massive yeah i know what you're saying the name escapes me but yeah it's the same as on on the back of uh, big trucks and stuff like that uh they printed windows and window frames on that and they covered the whole facade on both sides of this massive building with these printed things but you you can't see it until you get really close that it's actually plastic that it's all fake and they're totally abandoned. I don't know. I asked several people, where is the government? Where do they work from? And people say, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, also, when you look at Google Map, uh, you can try yourself uh, if you go to Grubbgata. I know that it sounds, it's quite a mouthful. It's G-R-U-B-B-E-G-A-T-A. G-R-U-B-B-E-G-A-T-A in Oslo. That is the street that goes right outside uh, or actually on the back of this government building. And that is the street that uh, Anders Breivik is said to have uh, come with a van and parked. If you go down there, what what is very odd as well, I would say, is that the Google map images are from 2009, from before this whole thing happened. As soon as you get outside the, the epicenter of this whole drama, you're back to, they're updated like 2014, 15, and so on. But that these few streets around there, 2009, which is perfect for someone like me because then I know exactly what it looked like before the explosion and I can compare every small little detail uh, about the whole thing with the uh, images from uh, this whole thing. So if we look at, uh, if, we t- if we start with the explosion, One of the things that was very odd for me was that people kept describing the the sound of the explosion very differently. People that were in the center that was very, very close to it didn't even hear an an explosion. There There were some people that said it was like a roar, and other people said there was no sound at all. But then in the outskirts of Oslo, people are all of the people that I know of have described it as a thunder sound. Also, there is a, there's a video footage of there's a, there was a bachelor party. There were a couple of guys just walking up Karl Johan, which is a very, very famous street in Oslo. There were some street musicians they were filming and so on. And while they're filming, suddenly you can hear a lot of glass falling, crushed glass uh, crashing down into the street. But no sound of the explosion. You can also see there's no, it's not that people are being uh, thrown, uh, you know, like uh, that there's panic uh, 
stance or they, they throw themselves to, to the ground or anything like that. People just keep walking, looking a little bit confused. And then the camera uh, turns to the side and then you can see the smoke starting coming up uh, over the, the rooftops of the buildings and so on. So the, the sound, that is one thing that is very odd with this whole thing. Then uh, with a normal explosion, you always have like an epicenter. If you place a bomb somewhere, you will have the epicenter exactly where the explosives were located. And then everything else is blown out in all directions equally. Uh, then if you have like a wall or a ceiling or a roof or something or anything that is in the way, that will then affect uh, the sign, the, uh, the, what should I say, the pattern of the damages to whatever is behind it. So that, for instance, if there's a wall, then a building behind that wall will not be as damaged as one without the wall and so on. Here we see totally different signs. Where the van is said to have been, absolutely no epicenter. There's nothing blown out from there at all. Everything seems to be evenly spread all over the, the place. Uh, please, anyone listening to this, go to, to Google Images and just uh, write down Oslo bombings or something like that. And you will see what I'm talking about. Also, when there is a normal explosion, even with a fertilizer bomb, uh, the, the power will go from, from where the explosives are and outwards, meaning that if there are windows and things like that nearby, they will be blown in to away from where the explosives are. But here I have found, I think, at least 50, 60 images of windows in, crushed windows in Oslo from this uh, impact. But all of the, these, the glass are being, have been sucked out into the street. All the Almost glasses, like the Boston bombing almost. It is sucked into the street. There's, it's not an explosion blowing out. It's something sucking in and also there's surveillance cameras from shops and so on and you can see that before the impact or sort of the before the damages the doors are sucked out and then you get the whole uh, damage inside the the shops and so on they're sucked out so we're talking instead of an explosion we're talking about some kind of implosion uh, also uh, you will see that the damages to the government building is totally uh, equal to the whole facade all windows except for some bulletproof windows in the middle are blown out it's not that the damages are more severe near to where the vehicle is said to have been and then less and less like that no on some of the buildings the damages is the most at the top it it just does not make sense then also there's a curved building behind the, or to the side and going behind the government building. That whole thing was blown out. And there's some, uh, I managed to get hold of the, uh, some footage from a few surveillance cameras. And you can see that if you go down into slow motion, you will see, since that you can see a long row of windows, you see that uh, it, the explosion, there's some kind of explosion furthest away from, on these films. You can see the, the fire from the explosion. And then you see the, there's a motion going through the whole building. And then all the glass is being blown out, out away from the building. It's going the opposite way as would, would, be, would be logical, as well as 
at a site where it should not be impacted by had it been a normal explosion. We're back to the same problem also uh, with, uh, you know, just like in Oklahoma City, you cannot make damages like that with a fertilizer bomb the size of what is said to have been. 950 kilos is nowhere near near what it would be needed to, to make an impact like that. Also, uh, on top of where the, the car is said to have uh, stood, there is a, a concrete uh, roof, and that instead of, instead of being blown upwards away from where the vehicle are, it looks like one side, it looks like melted cheese. It's just hanging down in a totally soft, the one corner uh, is just hanging down like it was melted. There's also, um, normally, you have like a crater if you have an explosion. There's a crater where the explosives were. Here, as far as I know, there was no crater at all until people started pointing this out. And then suddenly there appeared like an eight uh, feet big crater, total big open hole going down to the parking garage underneath. But the edges of this hole... It's not like if you if you have a normal explosion, uh, you will see that the edges of whatever it is that is blown out is like uh, black from charcoal and smoke and gunpowder and and these type of things. Here, nothing is totally sterile. Uh, some of the edges is almost uh, like it's somebody took a hammer and just knocked it out very carefully, like this. Nothing. It's just like a big hole, where and I would say not in the exact position of where the car was standing. So uh, that would just put somewhat of a question mark to the whole thing. But there was a, an incredible individual. His name was Fletcher Prouty. He's one person that I really admire. He, he used to work for Pentagon. He was way up in the CIA and he was involved in many, many uh, black ops and false flags and so on in the late 50s, early 60s. He is the man who is portrayed by uh, Donald Sutherland in the movie JFK as Mr. X, the one that explains everything about what was behind mm -hmm. the JFK and, uh, assassination and so on. And he said he spent his whole uh, life after the, the JFK assassination trying to expose these type of operations. And he said, one of the things you really have to look out for is not so much what happens, but what does not happen. These are the signs of a false flag or a black op when suddenly things stops working. And this is like, a t it's so, it's a standard ingredient in all of these operations. Whatever uh, assassination you look at or fake terror or whatever it is, what normally works perfectly, should you or I do something like that, we would be arrested right away. The police would come within seconds or minutes or the cameras would work. Uh, everything would work. Here, when it's a black op, everything stops working instead. And the reason for that is that they, the people behind these operations, need to be in control of everything. They need to be in control of the information going out. They need to, meaning... That is also why uh, when these big things happen, then suddenly your mobile stops working, normal telephone lines stop working, the internet is shut down, and so on. They, they say it's because of the explosion and so on. I would say absolutely not. 
this is part of the whole thing. So with that in mind, if we start looking upon what happened this day or what did not happen, then of course, since uh, Norway is not used to terror acts, of course, there would be confusion. There would be uh, things that wouldn't, that doesn't work the way they should uh, when it comes to rescue efforts and so on. But I would like to just point out a lot of things that did not work that could start forming a pattern of that we're looking at a, a different type of operation here. So, um, one of the first things that you notice when you look at this is that there are no people. There's, there are videos taken like seconds after the so-called explosion. There's absolutely no people. And when you really start studying the photos of, uh, in many different angles and so on, you will see that the, the, in one way, in one end, uh, the Grobegat on that street was uh, closed off because of road work. And in the other end as well, partly closed off. The, even though it was Friday afternoon, the whole government building more or less was evacuated, I would suggest. I mean, there's no people there, so, so few people there and very, very few people out in the street. We're talking a handful. Then uh, also, uh, one of the things also is that uh, uh, right after the explosion, there's a TV uh, team coming running because the TV news had their uh, offices in these buildings as well. It's coming running down the street toward uh, where the explosion took place. And they, what they film is they, there are three soldiers, military police soldiers, red uh, berets, that are uh, pulling off some kind of white a cord, it looks like an electric cord, a long one. There, there are three of them very, very determined, uh, very focused on getting rid of this cable. I mean, this is just seconds after the explosion. These three soldiers have never been identified. Uh, they're also they're doing it with blue gloves, uh, picking it up very fast, and they're telling the film crew to back off. Then on the other side, uh, when people are, are coming uh, towards this area, there are uh, people running around with mobile cameras, uh, very few of them, but uh, trying to see, is there anyone hurt here? Is anyone killed? Can I do anything? And in the beginning, there's more or less no one there. Then these uh, wounded people and dead people start appearing. But while they're there, a, a woman in a uniform comes out uh, with a walkie-talkie. She's dressed in a... In a a white uh, like office um, shirt and dark blue trousers and so on. She, she's got a name tag around her neck and so on. She's very author authoritarian and just say, please, no filming, back off, back off. This woman has never been identified and the uniform she's using is not a real one. It's not the police. It's not uh, a security company. It's not a fire. It's like a mix of all of them. Also, the, the three soldiers that I, I described after, uh, before, they, the, the, the things with a uniform that doesn't match up uh, as to official uniforms. It looks like a, a match, a mix of uh, police uniforms and a military uniform. So, um, then we have that 
when these things, when this happened, the fire station, the main fire station is just 100 meters away from the epicenter of this whole thing. So it should be very, very easy for the fire brigade to come there and do that thing right away. But unfortunately, because of this uh, massive implosion, explosion, whatever you want to call it, all the carports were blocked. They could not get out. So none, no one could get out. So instead, the fire brigade had to run up there uh, by uh, foot. And there's only very, very few of them uh, on site at any time. And then you got, um, there's people, uh, there's some wounded, one one dead. And there's uh, two vehicles, one that is totally blown up and another vehicle that is, uh, for some reason, parked up way up on the on the pavement so there's um, opposite the government building there's a building called r4 where the oil and energy department had their office at the top please remember that norway is a, a very important oil uh, country and often when you look at these false flag and so on when there is an operation like this, one of the things they make sure of is that if there is any evidence or anything that needs to be destroyed or that they can get rid of at the same time, then they make sure of that. So they often like, place... Like the, a, like the building or Building 7 on 9-11? That's exactly it. It's the same, uh, do you know, like uh, uh, the Alfred Murray building in, in Oklahoma City as well? That's right, you know, the FBI building, sure. Yeah, because like the first you had the first uh, explosion and while people were, the normal people were running up trying to, to rescue people out of the ruins and, and, and pull them out and so on, then suddenly a warning came, secondary uh, explosive, back off, back off, back off. So everybody had to, to leave the area and what happened, two vans came in with, with people in, in blue uh, overalls that went straight in and went for uh, special uh, office cabinets. They, were, they knew exactly what they were looking for and got hold of those, took, got all of the documents and into the vans, left the area, and then normal people were allowed back. All of this taking place where people were dying, blown to pieces in, in the rubble. But the, it's, it's now documented that these files were directly connected to Bill and Hillary Clinton and the Whitewater scandal. That had uh, uh, that case had just been moved from from uh, Arkansas to the Alfred Murray Building, and this was, uh, I would say, this. When you look at it, how could these people know where what to look for and so on? How could they stop the whole thing if they were not involved in it? I would very much like to point out here in Norway we have the same thing warning for secondary uh, explosives and then they empty the whole place so that no one can see what's going on but then when you look at the the photos that exist like the fire brigade uh, instead of trying to 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 you know turn out the fire which is up in the uh, oil and energy department that's the only place where there is a fire all of these buildings blown up but there's no fire at all, except in that office. There you got a fire, big one, that is uh, smoke and flames and everything coming out there. But instead of trying to focus on, on putting that one out, they, they start moving one of the, this, uh, this car 
that is not an, it's not obstructing anything. It's just standing up on the pavement. So they get there's no fire brigade vehicles at all. None. No ambulances. No nothing. Absolutely nothing in this whole area. Only a few firefighters. So they have. It looks like a small little tank, a red tank, but with a jet engine on it. It's a foam machine, a German-made foam machine. And with that, with remote control, and with that, they start moving away this vehicle for no reason whatsoever. So they're totally focused on that. Uh, So it looks very efficient, but they're doing absolutely nothing while this office is still building. I would just like to say, if this is a black op, then just because people have uniforms does not mean that they are who they appear to be. Very often, uniforms are used as a disguise. So I would question these firefighters, uh, what were their agenda, what were the motive of their actions and so on, and what were they doing, you know? No, you also see that all the you, time too. You see that all the time during protests. You see people dress as as law enforcement when they're actually... Uh, as young provocateurs, they're just provoking more of these same riots. Mel, you know, when you make a pie, you have certain ingredients. And uh, if if you become really good at making a pie, you will start knowing by heart what to look out for when right. you see other people making a pie. It's the same thing here. I've spent 30 years and I'm just showing the ingredients because they keep repeating, repeating, repeating. It's the same, it's the same, it's the same. But this one has all the ingredients. I mean, it's, an, uh, it's a pie deluxe, you know, because this one, uh, when I go through the whole thing, you will, you will just be surprised. Anyway, so uh, no police, no ambulances, no nothing. Instead, they, they somehow get the fire, uh, fire vehicles out, but instead of getting into where they're needed, they're driven to a local uh, plaza, big uh, town square, where all of them are parked very nicely. And then all the ambulances instead, all of them are sent on the other side of the, the government building. That could be because of... Uh, warning for secondary explosives. I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying there was absolutely no ambulances and so where they were needed. On the other hand, on the other side of the building, which is actually the front of the building, on that side, instead of people that really looks hurt and wounded, when you look at it, when I've studied these photos a lot, there are what I would suggest are like poster girls for terror for the terror attack. When these false flags are carried out, one of the uh, things that are involved are marketing agencies, how how to get the most possible impact for this operation because they want the emotions going so that they can serve us the solution or they can force us into others. And and one of the things nowadays that is uh, the best to carry out a message like that is images, gruesome images. This is the thing that sells. This is the thing that we buy and that we uh, let our, let us be persuaded by. And on the back where the impact was, no real awful images, no nothing like that. On the other side, 
where you have a lot less damages, there suddenly appear some people that are extremely hurt. And there's especially two women uh, where both of them worked in the government building. And one of them uh, comes out. Uh, she, her name is Cecil Wilskort. She was 62 when this happened. And she comes out. Her whole face is covered with blood. I mean, it's like she dipped her, her face into a paint bucket. Absolutely red, lots of blood on her shirt and so on. She's being led around uh, the building coming out on the front. And next to her is one of her colleagues. She has like a 12-inch wooden spike coming out of her head. On her head. head. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures right now, by the way. Out of her head. And uh, so I don't know about you, Mel, but if I had like a 12-inch spike coming out of my head, I would not move too much. I would sort of like take it a bit easy, maybe wait for the ambulance, something like that. Uh, But here... These two people, uh, together with their accompanied by other people from the so-called government, uh, walking around. First, they they come out on the, on the front of the building. Then I've got building uh, images showing that they walk in one direction first, and then they turn around and then they walk back, so that they come to uh, a corner of the street which is exactly opposite the main newspaper in Oslo. Uh, where these windows have also been blown up. But but by then, you've got plenty of of ambulances standing there. So, of course, the people from the ambulance, they they just rush towards these people uh, that are the most seriously hurt. Absolutely not. They're not even looking at them. So, normal people or people that are not from the ambulances, they they tell the, uh, the woman with the spike, please sit down here. And the man, the woman with the uh, the blooded face, she's just standing there. Not none of them, if you look at it, have blood in their hair or anything like that. It's just, uh, if we say the the blood lady, her whole face is covered. And after like it is said that it. she had, yeah, like she, a mask. she had between six, 60 and seventy stitches in her face. But I've got photos of her nowadays. She looks beautiful. She looks fine. And the other one, uh, with a spike coming out of her head, uh, she was out of the hospital in a few days, back in, uh, at her job and so on, doing great. So anyway, so they have sat there, and then you got ambulances there. <laughs> then there's this medic coming up, and I mean, her, her face is totally cut to pieces officially. And this guy, I've got it on video, he asked, can I check your pulse? So he, I've got photos as well where he's standing checking her pulse. Instead of looking at her cuts, or she also she does not try to hold sort of to stop the bleeding or anything like that. She's just walking around with paint in her face, you know, and she's very uh, cautious not to get it into her hair. At the same time, then uh, instead of them putting these poor women into ambulances and then take off big time towards the nearest hospital. They stop a normal bus. They stop a bus and they get the people out of the bus and then they take these five, there are five of them, all of them working in the Justice Department and uh, nearby offices in the government building. They take these five in the bus and then the bus is escorted by an ambulance and then officially they are taken to a hospital. Does this sound odd to you? 
at the same time, uh, while they're there, they're being like almost paraded in front of the cameras. So that and these are the images that are spread worldwide, saying the terror of Oslo, the terror bombings, the terror, 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 terror. Do you these realize? Are, and I mean to interrupt you, Oliver. Do you realize? I'm looking at these pictures right now. How similar they look to the Boston bombings. But I'm saying this is the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. If I say Sandy Hook, if I say Boston, if I say these things, there are such similarities. But there are some real events uh, like Oklahoma City, like uh, uh, 9-11, where people actually died, when people were actually hurt. And then you got a totally staged event like the Boston one like Sandy Hook, uh, like so, 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 so many of these uh, current ongoing ones. But there's still, are, there's still, there's still, there's still false flags, but one has people really dying and others have actors. And the question I have for you then is, if these Boston, Oslo, if these are actors, how do they I, participate on this? I, I would say that uh, in... In the Oslo one, I think there are real victims on one side of the buildings and actors on the back. Okay. These these are crisis actors, but they are employed by the government. There are two other people here, very interesting, on the same corner. Uh, one of them, his name is Arne Spildo. He's working for the government. It's said. But when I tried to track him down, I got him on the corner. I've seen, you know, same thing, blood in the face, all of that, white curly hair. But this guy, when you look up his name, you can not find him on internet. And I would say somebody who's got a top job in the government must have some kind of a past in public affairs, in big business or whatever. You should be able to find him. The only image I found of him is when he's not white-haired, but black-haired, and that he was an estate agent in the 70s or something like that. So his name was Onespildo. Who is this guy? What are we looking at? But I, would, I only also want to say that when they carry out these uh, black ops, one of the things they try to see to is they create what they call a paper trail so that uh, somebody, a patsy or a created identity or something like that, if somebody like myself would try and track them down, they would have made a paper trail so that it looks like these people were real or that, uh, well, it's the same with many of these uh, uh, crisis actors and fake families and fake victims and so on. So I would put a big question mark to him. These two women, as far as I know, work for the government, but they are loyal to the people they work for as well. And and like Chip Tatum, uh, who's a CIA whistleblower, who's been part of... Uh, false flags himself and who is a friend of mine now he says that it's very easy you know with these type of things you pay people a lot of money and they sign up for these things if they start getting second thoughts you just threaten them you kill their dog you kill their child uh, you kill one in the group and that will shut the rest of them up you know so this is why we start seeing it's like a very small group that is moving around uh, doing the same uh, type of action in different countries, in different areas and so on. And the reason for that is that they need to keep it to a smaller group as possible so that they can control them. So I, I would suggest, I really believe that what we're looking at 
is like a rocky horror show on global tour. You know, the same people in Sydney as in Ottawa, as in Paris, as in Copenhagen, as in so many other places where I would suggest that they, these are being transported by army planes uh, to NATO bases, army base, American uh, army bases and so on from country to country, carrying out the same thing again and again, giving us the impression of that we are globally attacked by crazy terrorists. I tell you, after 30 years, I don't even know if there is such a thing as a real terrorist anymore because the real terrorists I see, they, they dress really nice, expensive suits, expensive cars. You see them on TV saying all the, the words we want to hear on a daily basis. These are the terrorists and people in the, the global hidden networks like the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, these type of organizations, the Freemasonry on a high level, these are the ones we have to look out for. And this is why I think it's so important to expose these type of operations because either we're looking at lone crazy guys that are going totally wild and thus we need to have a stricter gun control as they keep saying to us or we're looking at inside jobs, inside jobs created by the people we think are there to protect us but are there to totally control us, to take over, which is on the line of what is called the New World Order, to totally destroy this world and out of the ruins create what they call the New World Order. Very, very scary uh, future scenario, I would say. But let's take, let's take one by one, still, yeah. still talking about the Oslo bombing and, and the killing. I have to ask you, I usually know what, when I see these false flags, let's call them what, what they are. Yeah. But when I see the one in Oslo, what it, what was the, for example, Charlie Hebdo in in uh, France, we can talk about, about that later. Uh, the, the ones here in the United States, all these shootings at military bases, at churches and so on, the common denominator to me here for the end game is gun confiscation. But what about the one in Norway? What was the reason that you think was that for? In the U.S., it's more or less always stricter gun, uh, gun control mm -hmm. because you, you, are the, you are the country in the world where the normal population have weapons. Right. So they really need to, they want to get them away from you so that they can so easily just take over. Right. In other countries, they don't have that problem. And uh, in Norway... I think there were several different reasons for this operation. And one of them was that Norway, which is part of NATO, at that time was uh, in a situation where they wanted to pull out of what, they, what the population saw as totally uh, unjust bombings of Afghanistan and Libya. Mm -hmm. Had Norway pulled out, then Denmark would have followed. It was almost on the go. A domino effect. So, a domino effect. Had Norway and Denmark left, then suddenly you have this whole thing around Scandinavia, very strategic point. You got Sweden being neutral. So NATO would totally lose uh, the control of that very, very important area. So just like dear old Obama uh, have said, from time to time, we need to, to squeeze uh, or twist the arm of some countries. 
And I would very much say that this is, I'm not saying Obama is behind this, but it is a, this is a, a twisting of the arm of Norway. Because right after this happened, instead of uh, Norway wanting to pull out, suddenly Norway was elected uh, honorary member of NATO and were totally back in line, have not talked about uh, leaving ever since. And actually, uh, the prime minister of Norway at the time of this uh, whole thing, I'm going to go back to him big time because he, he's one of the key players. His name is Jens Stoltenberg. Uh, he, after he was prime minister in Norway, was then elected uh, chief of NATO. So uh, he is a very, very specific player in this whole game. But um, if we go back to um, the Oslo thing, I think that I, uh, I managed to point out that uh, there were some things that did not work properly this day. It, at the same time, uh, the police helicopter, they had one police helicopter. Uh, this day, unfortunately, they had been given four weeks extra holiday. Uh, so... Uh, they were not there. The crew was not there and they could not get hold of them. So the helicopter could not be used. And it said that uh, the reason why they were given four weeks extra holiday was to save money. But when you check out their budget, they had $22.7 million of unused funds the year before. So I'm not sure that that makes sense. Okay. So unfortunately, uh, the PC with the alarm system for the whole police uh, uh, system in Oslo was turned off this day. Unfortunately, the internet did not work this day. Unfortunately, there was only four, I'm saying four police officers on guard in Oslo. It's only the capital of Norway when the bomb went off. Okay, there were two more uh, police officers this day and Unfortunately, they were on guard outside the U.S. Embassy and the Israeli Embassy. Go figure. Unfortunately, the police in Oslo, when this happened, they had to, to uh, go out uh, and uh, try to help without weapons or bulletproof vest or anything like that. Because, unfortunately, just a few weeks before this happened, they had been given, all officers on duty had been given uh, been told to give in all their personal gear like bulletproof vests, uh, weapons, uh, all of these things. So they were locked in. And unfortunately, the, the rules said that two officers had to be present to open these lockers. Two officers were not present, so they could not get hold of their weapons. Unfortunately, the specially trained terror unit were not told about this bomb thing because also they were, they were on holiday and so on. I just don't want to say also that there were a terror drill. A drill is just like when you make a pie, you need certain ingredients. The drill is a standard ingredient in false flag operations. In 2010, there was a drill, police drill, setting up bombs. It, it is the same, the same, the same. Now, in, in Oslo, the drill, the reason why they want this drill is for one thing, to practice, also I would say to get vehicles in position, to get explosives in position, to get the patsy, trick him into position so that he can be blamed and so on. 
just like I remember you mentioning the film Shooter last time I was on. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting way of how they do it, you know, how to get somebody in position so he can be blamed. Interesting movie. Sure. But the two reasons and, what I see here, first, it was NATO's revenge, as you say, for Norway's decision to stop bombing Libya, but also the fact that Norway was recognizing the state of Palestine. Of Palestine, of Palestine, exactly. That is exactly also, uh, I was going to come to that one, and that needed to be stopped. You would see that uh, when you look at the last few years of, of these uh, so-called terror acts, Israel and Palestine, that comes up again and again, where where they do not want us to, to support or accept uh, Palestine at all. On the contrary. Whenever you see any country, any country that supports the recognition of the state of Palestine, usually yep. something happens. Take yep. a look at Cuba, take a look at uh, North Korea, not that I agree with North Korea, but take a look at Cuba too. All these countries support and recognize the state of Palestine and they're always the pariah, the axis of evil. Libya too, of course. Same, same. Okay, so unfortunately, it took 77 minutes before the uh, national alarm went out. So uh, that's like two hours and 36 minutes before they thought, well, maybe we should put out an alert, you know, let people outside of Oslo know that this happened and so on. So um, also uh, the police said there was another helicopter uh, that, was, uh, that could have been used, but unfortunately there was no... This was in, in another part of um, uh, Norway, but I mean, Norway is not that big a country, so they could easily have come in. But unfortunately, there was no gas in the helicopters. I mean, this is official. I'm not making these things up. There were no gas, and one of them had been repainted. So unfortunately, there were some antennas and stuff that was needed for them to be able to fly that needed to be uh, screwed together and so on before they could do anything. So the police helicopters were never used. Okay, we, let's move to chapter two, up to the island. Before we move to chapter two, we have to separate both segments into two. So let's take a quick intermission, Ole. How can people yeah. learn more about your work? I know you have your book still out there. How can people learn more about your work, Ole? Well, my website is lightonconspiracies.com. I'm uh, totally... I'm, just an ordinary guy. I'm not paid by anyone. I'm not uh, part of an organization or anything like that. Uh, what I do is I try to expose these things to help uh, the world in the best way I can. My, I've got several books. I've just uh, released uh, my books, Coup d'état in slow motion, volume one and two. You can find it on Amazon and so on. I've uh, written other books as well. Anyone who believes in my way of trying to expose this in a totally nonviolent way, please support me by buying my book, sign up for my newsletter, uh, become a member, or there are donation buttons and, and so on. If not, uh, and also, please support the people like Mel, uh, who is really opening up a platform for this time of, of truth to get out there. It is extremely appreciated for your support. We're doing it for all of us. Thank you. And when we come back, folks, we have so much more to discuss, not only about Norway, but I want to also dissect the Charlie Hebdo false flag in France, in Paris, and also the latest one here in Virginia. A lot of people are emailing me 
information. I've seen the videos. I've looked into this and I've found some things that are very, very troublesome for all of us because we've heard about the actors. We're going to discuss that. And also I found a talent agency that is searching. It says, so and so, I'm not going to name the, 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 the company here. I don't want to give them any free advertising. This company is searching the nation for stories of people looking for a chance to start over with a new identity and escape from their current life. Are you misunderstood or not accepted by your family, your friends, or your community? Were you involved in a scandal, shamed for a mistake or a past action, or falsely accused of something? Leaving my past behind is a groundbreaking talent agency. Think about this, folks, and take a look at this Virginia shooting. The father, I uh, forget the, 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 the first name, Parker. We have found that he is an actor. I have lots of pictures and even videos. He's the star of Le Miserable. He's also listed on LinkedIn as a banking headhunter. So you have all these stories out there. And his, his uh, LinkedIn page is brand new. A lot of the pictures we see on Facebook are brand new. But we also found, thanks to face recognition, I think a lot of the technologies are out there by Facebook and Google may be used against them because we found a page for Allison Bailey or Allison Bailey Parker, the alleged killed uh, reporter, where she shows dozens and dozens of pictures with her real boyfriend, not this man now that keeps parading every single news organization with a little album that he calls his month month anniversary because they've been together for one month and he's showing all those pictures but if you lost your girlfriend your wife your daughter would you be participating in any interview just hours two three hours after the event to immediately start talking about gun confiscation gun loss regulations would you do that to me this sounds obvious only and i think there's a reason for that these past 11 or so shooting hoaxes are purposely sloppy that somebody said that to me to expose those critical thinkers in today's society they're using these events to data mind their people and to categorize and rate everyone for future events but more of this when we return with ole damigor directly from spain this is mel fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members or subscribe, or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, supplements, our USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. They could be anywhere. You're not safe even in your TV chair. It could come through the air. Land to see the terrors everywhere. Could be anywhere You're not 